Good morning, my friends. It's good to be with you. Hey, uh, it is Thursday. As I have mentioned in the past, this is when I record these sermons. And Thursday's weather outside is smoky. We don't know what's going to happen on Sunday, but we are scheduled to have our communion gathering out in the parking lot. And several of you have already signed up, and we are still planning on holding a communion service at 6 p.m., out in the parking lot so note the time change we're doing that just because the sun is setting a little after seven now so we want to make sure that we have still enough sunlight to participate in communion together so you're invited to come tonight at six um, really depends on conditions but we're planning on holding our communion service sun tonight and uh, we would love to see you and love to catch up with many of you this morning um, what we're going to do in, we're going to continue our exploration of what it means to be light in the world. And we're going to spend some time in the story of Jonah this morning. So I invite you to turn over to Jonah chapter one, and we're going to look at verses one through three, and then I'll make references throughout the sermon, uh, in just different parts of the story. But let's read, uh, one, one through three together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, when you look at a story like this, one of the first questions that rises up is, what exactly is Jonah running from? Why is he running? And again, we enter into a story that tells us about the nature of God. But this story takes it even deeper and also talks about what God does with our disobedience and in particular, what God does, what I, what I would say, what God does with our indifference and how God calls us out of indifference into greater levels of compassion and action. Now in verse two, it says that the city was so bad that uh, all the injustice that was happening in Nineveh had come up before the Lord. This has a, a similar flair to the story we looked at last week where the injustices happening in the city of Sodom had risen up before the Lord, and then the Lord comes down to do something about the destruction happening in the city. And he encounters Abraham, and then Abraham and God have this back and forth. And now God calls the man of God, the prophet of God, to go into the city and to um, declare, unless you repent, unless you knock it off, basically, and return back to the one living God, um, I'm going to bring judgment down on the entire city. Now, Consider that when we talk about being light in the world, that is our vision as a people. Light by its very nature is always drawn to darkness. That's the nature of light. It moves into darkness. And next week and in the weeks to follow, we're gonna explore a bit more of what that means exactly. So when we say we want to be light in the world or be light in the world, what are the implications of that? And we're gonna to continue to explore that over the next several weeks. Now, Jonah and the nap of indifference is what I'm calling this sermon this morning. Jonah is a prophet of Israel. He's a prophet of God. He's part of God's chosen people. He's part of the nation in which their mission in life is to be a blessing to all other nations. He's somebody who walks with God. Uh, and it's clear from the text that Jonah actually knows something about the nature of God, because in the story it tells us that he's running away from the presence of the Lord in verse 3. 
Now, the question I ask is like, why would anyone want to run away from the presence of the Lord? What's going on there? Why would, especially a prophet, want to run away from the very thing that a prophet is called to do? And that's like, this is what I do in life. I proclaim God's message. I proclaim God's intent. And God is asking me to do this. And to not do this, there has to be something behind it. And I think the reason why is revealed to us in chapter 4, verse 2. And listen to what the text tells us. It says, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, I know about your nature and I don't want these people around. I want you to wipe them out. But because I know your nature, I wanted to flee from you and get away from your presence because I knew what your heart intent was. Now keep in mind that the city of Nineveh was full of Assyrians and these Assyrians are hell-bent on conquering nations through violence. Their desire is to be this dominant nation on earth, the greatest nation on earth. The Assyrians were also early adopters of iron weaponry. They they developed uh, advanced military tactics and a, and a formidable army. Great weaponry and military presence, that tends to equal greatness and domination in the world in which we live. So when God's thinking about wiping them out or judging them, God's chosen representative says, okay, I agree, that, that kind of wickedness needs to be dealt with and it needs to be removed from the earth. Also keep in mind, the Assyrians have caused a great deal of suffering to Jonah's people. So this is very personal as well. Jonah is keeping his people, his nation, front and center in his mind. He's speaking on behalf of the people here. So I understand that what might be going through Jonah's mind, there's, there's something happening there where he's experiencing some real tension. Because if I do what God actually calls me to do and I remain obedient, this is going to end poorly for my people or possibly could end poorly for my people. So God can't be right here. Now notice how subtle that statement can be and how it can creep into our subconscious and into the way in which we make decisions. Don't you hear that in yourself? In other words, I, I have no choice here but to disobey. Now, I always do my best to get underneath the motives of my own heart and also to understand the motivations under the motivations of others. But here's part of what I think could be going on here. I think what could be happening in Jonah's heart, and I see this in myself, is that I will decide whether my obedience to this particular thing seems to get me to where I want to go. Now, don't you see that operating in your own heart? It's like I, I think of the heart, it has all of these different rooms inside of it. And I allow God and the Spirit into certain parts of those rooms. I. I give God and the Spirit free reign in these particular rooms in my heart. Like, make yourself at home here. Sure, even rearrange the furniture. It's totally fine. You're welcome in this room. But these rooms over here, off limit. No entry. You can't enter into that. And we all have those. So one of the questions that comes up in this story is, doesn't it bother you that Jonah hates these people? Like, when you read the story, isn't there something inside of you that goes, he, he hates these people. This is problematic. God wants to restore the Assyrians. He's going after the heart. 
Is that the God we know? A God who is slow to anger because his heart is out to restore the heart of our enemies. Or how about this one? I want, I'm fine with God wanting to restore the hearts of my enemies, but please don't ask me to be part of that restoration. Now it starts to get a little bit deeper, doesn't it? Like keep us out of the restoration process because that, that involves relationship and I don't want to be in a relationship with those people. So go ahead and restore them, but don't ask me to be part of that restoration. Sure, you can maybe even raise up one of their own. Raise up an Assyrian to do the work. There, there's got to be like one good Assyrian in the whole mix. Like raise up an Assyrian and then infiltrate through that Assyrian because that person already has relationship with his own people. But don't ask us to be a part of that. To be light, right? That's Israel's call to be a blessing to all nations. And Jonah wants what all of us want. And wherever evil is present in the world, Jonah wants justice. And these people have got to pay for their wrongdoings and all the ways in which they're conquering other nations. So I'm totally down with judgment. I'm totally down with wiping them out. But this whole restorative justice thing, well, that ain't going to work because that's going to require forgiveness on my part and relationship. And I'm not in for that part of it. We like the idea of forgiveness, but the actual practice of forgiveness, that's a completely different thing. Now, for some reason, Jonah is blind to his own understanding of what justice is supposed to be. He's a prophet. Prophets walk with God. They, they listen to God. So we could say Jonah has some really good information about God. He knows about the nature of God, and that's why he's running away. He, he knows about God's restorative nature. And yet all of this information, this knowledge about God, didn't soften his heart towards his enemies. Now I go back to the words of Jesus so often in my own life where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemies. That also includes the enemies of your nation. Love your enemies. Forgiveness. You see, when, when God calls Jonah to participate in restorative justice, it's like, well, those rooms in my life are okay, but that room, that one's shut down. You're asking too much. My belief in God's justice, well, I'm all in, However, if it doesn't get executed on my enemies, that's not going to work for me. In other words, my obedience, um, it reaches a limit. It, it, like, I'll be obedient up to a certain point as long as things go well for my family, for my people, for my nation. Now, another key to help us unlock Jonah's motivations here is what I would call Jonah takes a nap. And I would call this nap, this particular nap, not just a nap, but I would call it the nap of indifference. In the story, Jonah is running away from the presence of the Lord. And by that, I would say that Jonah is running away from the heart of the city. And the very place that God's heart seems to be set is on the city, on restoration. So in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, Jonah hops on a ship. He pays a fare. He gets on a ship. He wants to get as far away from the presence of the Lord, as far away from the call of God as he possibly can. And in verse 6 of chapter 1, there is this stunning statement. And I want you to see this. How can you sleep? Now, these are the sailors, so the captain of the ship is asking Jonah, how can you sleep? Because there's a, there's a violent storm at play here. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, this is a razor sharp statement here. 
Because these mariners, they all have their own gods. These are superstitious people. And in the midst of this violent storm, these mariners are calling out to their gods because that's what you do when you're in a situation of peril. And their gods aren't listening or they're not responding. So I think verse 6 is actually huge. It's like a, a huge point to the whole story of Jonah's narrative. And when we make this story about a man being swallowed by a fish and then living in the belly of the whale for three days and being puked up on the shore, I think we can miss some of the, the truth of what's really going on in the story. We can miss these stunning questions that are being asked of all of us. How can you sleep? Now again, notice something about the nature of God here. God causes a, a huge storm, a, a wind hurled up upon the sea. And what amazes me is that God is still going after Jonah here because God's like, I know you're being disobedient, but I still need you to participate with me in this restorative justice of these people. And so God comes to Jonah and he tells him, Jonah, I want you to go into the city and I want you to tell the people they've got 40 days to repent, to put an end to the violence and to change. And all Jonah has got to do is avoid Nineveh for 40 days. That's it. That's his plan. How do I stay away for 40 days? So he gets on a ship and a storm arises and the sailors are crying out and Jonah comes up with another solution. You know what? Throw me over, overboard. I'm the problem here. It's like, well, that will ultimately get me out. If you throw me into the sea, there's no way I'm going to live. And yet he lives. It's like that indifference sets into the heart of Jonah. Could we, could we say that the nap of indifference can lead to avoidance because we see what Jonah is doing here. Indifferent hearts tend to avoid people. An indifferent heart can easily justify good reasons of that avoidance. It's like I'm down with restorative justice as long as it doesn't include my participation. As long as I don't have to be in relationship with these kinds of people. And then in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, God throws out a beautiful beautiful question. And he's talking to Jonah and he says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Do you see what's going on here? He's, Jonah's heart is getting turned inside out. It's like the prophet of God is saying, look, I'm all in for worshiping the one true God, believing in the one true God, unlike these Assyrians who believe in whatever God they choose. But the very moment he had to make a choice between serving his own people serving his own special interest, serving his ideas of justice, or participating in the, in the restorative justice of his enemies, Jonah is faced with a really stark reality. You've constructed a God in your own image. Years ago, I read a statement by Anne Lamott, and this statement has stuck with me, and she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. And many times, the way in which you can identify this operating inside of your own heart and your own lives is that they tend to manifest in our disobedience. And eventually they become uh, destructive patterns in our lives. There's, there's nothing wrong with wanting justice. That's a good and, and holy desire. It's a godly desire. The cries of injustice that were coming up before the Lord, inflicted by these Assyrians, had gotten so bad that God is coming down to bring judgment on the whole city. 120,000 people are about to die, and Jonah takes a nap. 
Things like indifference, subtle, resentment over time tend to lead to sleep. In other words, obedience to God's desire for restorative justice here, it doesn't serve the outcome I want. So I'm out. And if I can't get these things from my people, from my causes, this is where my obedience stops. And this is where I fall asleep. And then Jonah finally obeys God. And guess what? It's really bad for Jonah. In, Jan in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, it says the Ninevites believed God. Like, it actually worked. He, he goes out and he makes this proclamation and they actually believe it. And they put on sackcloth, all of them, even the animals, which is really strange. And they just open up the whole thing and they confess and they repent. And there's great restoration in the heart of these people. And I think what that could mean is now Jonah has the hard work to do of reconciliation. Because now I have to be part of this restoration. Like That means that, that I potentially have to enter into relationship with these people and, and show them how to walk with God, these dirty Assyrians. And the text tells us that Jonah is filled with anger. And because God begins to restore these people, which means Jonah now has to be part of that restorative process, how does Jonah respond? He says, I'm angry enough to die. And God continues to pursue the prophet and he asks Jonah a question. And I think this really is a question for the whole nation. Because the repentance of the Assyrians also means God's chosen people now have to participate in restoration and relationship. But God's question really is for all of us, do you do well to be angry? And listen to Jonah's response. Yeah, I do well to be angry. Jonah falls into this false sense of peace and bliss. I would call it the false sense of peace and bliss, which stems from indifference. And indifference seems like peace. But notice where the indifference leads. I'm angry enough to die. Like, just eliminate me. Get me out because I don't want to do that hard work. Again, the question comes up. Doesn't it bother you that Jonah doesn't care about this city? That Jonah doesn't care about these people? Because it goes back to the heart of God. Should I not be concerned for the great city of Nineveh? Should I not care is the question that God is asking of humanity. The heart of God is always for the city, like the whole city. The heart of God is for our city, the places that God has placed us to live and be and play and, and work and interact with people. Two weeks ago, we began this journey and we talk about being light, uh, being light in the world. We talk about being a city within a city, a city of light. We talked about how last week we are a city full of priests who, who move throughout our neighborhoods and, and move in and out of businesses and places that we walk, priesting on behalf of the city, asking for God to extend his mercy and open up the hearts and minds of people to receive his goodness and his love. This is the heart of God. To be light in the world is to be light in the city where God places us. Now notice, Jonah does his duty. He does what is asked of him, and that's a lot. He walks around the city proclaiming the message that God had laid upon his heart. That's, that's obedience, right? Sure, but remember how we began the sermon. We talked about getting underneath the motivations of the heart. Sure, you're obedient, but why? What's really going on underneath it? Jo Jonah's obedience actually has conditions attached to it, right? I, I'll be obedient if, I'll follow you if, but don't ask me to be part of the restorative process because that means that now I have to be in relationship 
with these people and I don't want to be in relationship with these people. And I sometimes think that we as, as Jesus followers, we want to be light in the world. We make that proclamation together. But what if that light actually brings us into relationships with people that are really complicated? And what if being light in the world actually draws people into our community that aren't like us, that don't look like us, that even smell different than us, are, are, are completely different in how they live their lives, and they make us uncomfortable. And now we're in relationship with these kinds of people. And Jonah, and I would say this really is a story about a whole community, a whole nation, God's people. And it's a story of how the heart of a nation needed as much restoration as the Assyrians did. And the question I ask for us is what happens when good, upright, moral, religious people and immoral people both need to repent? Then what do you do? Both need to repent, maybe for different reasons, but ultimately repentance needs to happen in the righteous and the unrighteous. And here's another part of the story that gets to the root. The Assyrians actually turn to God. And Jonah, even after he fulfills his duty, he wants to get away. He's angry. Even after his obedience, he still wants to get away. So God has to go after that heart of indifference just as much as he has to go after the heart of the Assyrians' evil. And in order to go after the heart of indifference, sometimes I think God has to send storms into our lives because that's an act of mercy. Because the only way people are going to change is when we're confronted with reality that our hearts need to be transformed and not in the ways in which we thought they needed to be transformed. And many times the only way in which we are going to change is if the things that we are convinced we need to have begin to be fading away in our lives. And by that I mean false foundations. Things that we're building our lives on that we're not supposed to be building our lives upon. And one of the biggest foundations that I see happening in our culture today and in our context, and I'm speaking about us right now, is that we've built our lives on the false foundation of certainty, which is actually the opposite of faith, if you think about it. It's not doubt. The opposite of faith is, is certain, like certainty. And my hope is that all of this, in all of this uncertainty, in this season of uncertainty that we've been immersed in over the last year, that this will actually help us to wake up out of the nap of indifference. You know, one of the most beautiful parts of the story of Jonah is the revelation that actually both nations need to repent, the Assyrians and God's people. And as soon as Jonah is thrown into the sea, the storm was satisfied, and the stories tell us that the sailors, these other God worshipers, actually turned to God. It tells us that they bowed down and they addressed, they addressed him as Lord and they made vows. So we actually see conversion happening in the story, which is really beautiful. And this is really difficult for religious people to read and embrace. And that's why many times we want to make the story about something else. We want to make the story about a person being swallowed by a fish because we want to avoid the real intent of the story. But I think what the story does is it, it invites us to look at our indifference, to face it, it's calling it out. It's calling us out uh, against our resentment and our hatred towards certain kinds of people or certain groups of people because we want to grab onto certainty and this false, uh, this false idol of security and comfort. And the question is, is will we repent and believe? Will we turn our hearts back to God and enter into the journey of restorative justice that actually puts us into relationship with all kinds of people? The story of Jonah is about 
two different groups of people that need to turn back to God. And the question is, is what is God calling our city to turn from and turns towards? My prayer and my hope is that the Holy Spirit would give us big, gigantic hearts for the city that he has placed us in, that we would wake up out of our nap of indifference and move deeper into greater levels of compassion and love to the point where we can rejoice when a whole group of people bow down and make vows before the Lord and commit their lives to Jesus Christ. That's the heart of a city of light. Grace and peace be with you, my friends.